This is the Right Way Podcast. Right Way Podcast. The 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 Right Way Podcast. This is Ashley Goldberg talking to Sam Elliott on the Right Way Podcast about my debut novel, Abomination. Yeah, Ashley, thank you so much for the introduction to this night's episode of the Right Way Podcast program. And hello to everyone out there in digital land listening to this night's episode of this evening's episode of the Right Way Podcast program with me, your host, Samuel Elliott. The person I'm used to introducing this episode of the show is none other than tonight's guest, Ashley Goldberg. Ashley Goldberg and I discussed his debut novel, Abomination, which is centered around the dynamics or the friendship, I should say, of two friends, Ezra and Yonatan, that attend the old ultra-Orthodox Jewish Yahel Academy where they maintained a friendship and then uh, years kind of pass and then they've, uh, their friendship has kind of fallen by the wayside as friendships can do from, from school era and then uh, there is a huge news break of a rabbi from, from the academy uh, is sort of brought up for historic prolific child sex charges uh, and is facing extradition from Israel and then thereby they kind of uh, their relationship or their friendship forms again and you know they both kind of have a newfound uh interest in each other as well as their different sort of understandings of faith or what their faith is and then from there that kind of continues for them their friendship to be strengthened as well as different sort of schisms within their faith as well as uh their lifestyles sort of arise from there and they also sort of draw strength from one another as well as kind of darting around the question of if either was uh, one of the victims of the infamous rabbi that is being extradited to Australia. So so I think that uh, it would be remiss of me and my duties and then not to give a trigger warning to this particular episode naturally given that it is about uh, uh, child sex offences related to uh, rabbi from the uh, ultra-Orthodox community uh, there is some discussion about the this, um, not, in, not in any particular gratuitous detail, but that is discussed. So yeah, trigger warning there for the child sex abuse discussion as well. If that does arise, um, I'd rather give the heads up about that now. So yes, if you are sensitive about that, I recommend not listening to this particular episode. And I'll also put notes into the biography slash description of this particular episode there as well. Um, but yes, aside from that, uh, huge thanks to Ashley Goldberg for talking with me on the show. Uh, this is Ashley's debut novel, Abomination, which is tremendously well received. I believe it was shortlisted for a Kill Your Darlings unpublished award uh, a few years ago. And then since then, obviously it's found its way, deservedly so, into the hands of publishers who have published it. And hence we are discussing it tonight. So I'd really like you to give all to give a big digital round of applause to Ashley Goldberg discussing with me tonight on the show, his debut novel, Abomination. Ashley, thank you so much for joining me on the Right Way Podcast program this evening. Hey, Dom. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Brilliant. Happy to have you. Happy to have you. Um, I wanted to start off. Uh, you've probably listened to a couple of episodes of the show. You know how I like to start things off. It's a really good way to hear about uh, how things have kind of come to this point. But I wanted to know what the inspiration was for Abomination because I looked at the acknowledgements and there was a mention of some of the materials made available by the 2013 Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sex Abuse. And I wondered if it, was, if it started from there or if it was just an image or a particular character or how did that kind of start off for you, Ashley? Yeah, so, I mean, the origin, um, I guess the, the long story is kind of that um, I did a Master's of Creative Writing at mm. Basketball University at in Bath in, in the UK in 2016, 2017. Um, and as part of that program, we had to produce a, um, a project of approximately 60,000 words in length by, by the end of the year, which was really fantastic. And quite a number of, of, um, of my uh, uh, cohort um, got novels out of that out of that program but um i i did a short story collection um short stories are honestly um despite having written and published a novel uh, it's my favorite form of prose um i i love the short form um and that's what i wanted to do um and so i wrote this short story collection and then as part of the program we got introduced to all these different um agents and and some smaller indie publishers and that kind of thing um and i received a little bit of interest but but largely um, the response was um, short stories don't sell. Um, we need to pair uh, a short story collection with a novel. So I came uh, back to Australia and I, I got to work on, on Abomination, but I guess the, I had to come up with the idea first. And, and um, I suppose I had um, uh, 
you know, Ezra's narrative. So, you know, the book has these two um, intertwining but also separate narratives of, of Ezra, um, the more the secular character, and then, then Yonatan, the, the ultra-Orthodox character. And so um, uh, Ezra's narrative explores all these themes that I was, you know, really interested in. I think it's a very contemporary narrative. It's about relationships and identity, uh, you know, um, depression, mental illness, uh, as well as his relationship with, with Judaism and faith. Um, so, you know, I had a lot of that. A lot of that material is stuff I've explored in my short fiction. Um, but I needed another another narrative. Um, and uh, Jonathan's narrative, you know, it's, in my mind, it's, it's really uh, centers around an exploration of um, his questioning of faith. And that that questioning of faith is, is my questioning of faith. But um, mm. I was brought up modern Orthodox and not ultra Orthodox. And so circumstances for me were um, were different to, to Jonathan's in that um, for me it was a much more gradual process and I had exposure to a lot more, more external factors than than Jonathan uh, had uh, in, in the novel. Um, so I had these so basically these two separate narratives and what I needed was a, um, a I think a springboard event an event to to bring them together mm. um, and that's that's where the the Royal Commission really came in. I mean there, there was you know, not just uh, the Royal Commission, uh, but, you know, subsequent events. Um, there's, you know, there's a high-profile case ongoing in, in Melbourne at the moment. Um, so, uh, you know, I, you know, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that, you know, the event uh, in the book is a, um, is a springboard event. It, it's not the focal point of the two narratives. You know, the, mm. the book is, is about these two different men and, and the paths their lives have taken. Um, you know, and, and the the event um, being the alleged abuse um, is what you know led to their separate parts. Um, so, uh, you know, that's really what the event was for me. But I have, you know, I have received a lot of responses um, from people who who felt like it really, you know, hangs over the whole novel. And um, you know, my my response to that has really been that it wasn't my intention. But of mm. course, um, I think anybody who's a part of any community and then uh, has you know then been exposed to you know events of that of that scale and that nature um it would be um completely understandable um and i think you know that's what's happened in this instance that it's it's just come out um rather involuntarily um you know my kind of visceral reaction to those events um has uh has come out in in the novel in that way Interesting. It's also interesting in terms of um, how you mentioned that it wasn't necessarily the focal point. It wasn't intentional in terms of starting off or focus centered around this, this um, case of an extradition that was sort of a disgraced uh, rabbi from Israel. Uh, I don't think that's too much of a spoiler. I think that's, that's pretty standard from the start, but in terms of, I didn't find, I didn't find that either. And I must tell you, actually, I'm given the subject matter, I was trying to find a smarter or better sort of description for this, but I could only come up with Robert Eggers, the witch, um, the the movie. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but basically the witch kind of the, is the titular character, but it's barely in it, and it's more just this lurking sort of menace that kind of centres around or serves as a backdrop to the actual sort of family dynamics. And I felt that that was that's kind of what stood out for me with Ezra and Yoni, with the the centre of the book, and the, and then this the situation, which is you know explosive case, is kind of um, in the background, albeit kind of buttresses their own sort of. Um, questions of faith and the way in which they sort of take into each other, take into account each other's faith or their different stages of faith. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it was really, it was really important to me as well um, mm. where, that it's not a story about abuse. I mean, mm. it's, a, it's certainly a story about responses to abuse in, in a way, but it's not, um, you know, uh, it's not, that's not the experience of either of the protagonists and, um, you know, I don't, we, I don't necessarily want us to get into that kind of conversation of, of, um, uh, what you can and cannot write in fiction, mm. but um, it was important to me that it's not uh, a story about abuse. I'm not writing a story um, about abuse because it's not, it just didn't feel like that's my story to tell. Mm-hmm. Rest assured, we're not we're not going to be having that kind of conversation because I, truly, 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 like all my conversations stem around around um, Johnny and Ezra's relationship because I found that to be the the real sort of um, main focus on this the novel itself. One question I kind of had before I wanted to get into the nitty gritty of that. At one point, Jonathan talks about uh, believing that his path was already laid out for him when when they were boys, and I found that to be really interesting as well because that kind of touches into or weaves into 
notions of faith and how one can be defined by their destiny depending upon what their faith is. Do you think that that's, is that something actually that kind of intrigued you and that's something that you wanted to explore as well? Is that something that kind of serves as the foundation of Yonatan's character? I just wondered about that. Yeah, completely. If, if anything, I think it's it's probably it's very central to the book. Mm. Um, is is this idea of the paths we're placed on in life, and and you know, um, voluntarily in some cases, um, when we make decisions for ourselves, but in a lot of cases involuntarily. For instance, um, you know, with myself and my upbringing, I didn't choose to be Jewish. It wasn't my intention. I didn't choose to be to go to attend a Jewish school. Um, you know, and there, you know, so then for me. Um, uh, you know, questions I have had much later in life about who I am and my identity. And also, um, you know, when it comes to certain other elements that are, that are raised in the book, you know, my my morality and my values as a person, to what extent um, is that um, because of the way I was brought up, the faith mm. I was brought up with? Uh, so, yeah, it's entirely um, cent- central to the novel, mm. uh, that, that, that idea. Um, and, and, and obviously, so for, for Yonatan and, and, you know, I, I think that's relatable for anybody who's brought up in, in a particular community, um, most certainly an insular community, like ultra-Orthodox Jewish communities, but, um, uh, not necessarily, uh, a community that is that insular, you know, you can, I think it's relatable in, in a large variety of contexts. What do you feel about? friendship and how it can sometimes transcend one's own faith or one's own sort of religious beliefs. Cause there was a couple of times, and this is, I, I don't know if this is a weird flex in terms of what I interpreted, but I feel like the affinity for basketball, just the game of basketball and it kind of in the, this sort of wholesome. And I mean, like, it's not like that, that the one scene in particular I'm thinking about doesn't obviously end in, in some sort of uh, problem, but I was wondering about this, be it this sort of uh, seemingly sort of wholesome pursuit as basketball, if that just the mere affinity of that kind of allows us to have friendships that can uh, kind of transcend above our own sort of religious beliefs, particularly if they're at odds with those of our friends that are different to our own, Actually, What do you think? Well, yeah, so that's certainly my affinity for basketball that's, that's come out in, in the story. <laughs> but, but, I, but I completely agree with what you're saying. I mean, I... Um, I think, um, uh, you know, in my mind, the book isn't necessarily, um, you know, despite um, the very striking cover, it's not necessarily just about about Judaism or mm. um, uh, or necessarily religion or faith as a whole. I think it could be about community um, and uh, about the connections we form um, with within and, and outside of communities um and and sort of the idea of um this reliance that that people do have uh uh in society to have this kind of um a structural basis to to form um those connections um within within community so religion being a predominant one um but but it, i guess the question there is is why is that necessary like mm. why um why do we need this a structural basis um, and this, this um, moral groundwork or this moral structure, which is quite rigid with its, in this case, um, Jewish law, um, to, to live a, a moral existence. Why can't um, people necessarily have, uh, you know, form those connections and, uh, you know, establish those morals and values on their own um, without that, that, that basis. And so, you know, it, with with the example of of um, of basketball, um, I, you know, I've played my entire life, and I can certainly say that there's been, um, you know, what I would feel uh, would be um, moments on on the basketball court with you know people I didn't even know that uh, certain connections and feelings that I would say you know definitely transcended any kind of um, uh, you know um, connection that I've had um, uh, within Judaism. Hmm. What do you actually? What do you think that? How much of other people's opinions of ourselves, or what we perceive as their opinion of us? How much do you? How much of that do you think shapes our identity? Because I mean, there's there's a time when Yontan is concerned because he thinks that. Well, sorry, and then he dismisses it because he's, he thinks that Ezra. Uh, it doesn't so much matter what Ezra's sort of opinion is because he's off living his supposedly secular life. And then there's another point where Ezra is concerned, particularly I think early on, because he's worried about, I don't know, I'm, not, I'm going to mangle the Hebrew word, but 
Goy is with dating Tegan was up remotely close to the pronunciation of that. No, yeah, yeah, Goy's right. Okay, Goy's okay, right. Okay. How much how much of other people's sort of opinions, particularly those that we might have uh it doesn't necessarily mean to be like a, a figure of the community, like a rabbi, but someone that we might consider a friend. How much of their opinions or what we sort of perceive that their opinions of us are, do you think can shape or define our sort of identity? Well, I, I think I think the response to that is probably um, pretty subjective. Mm. You know, in the context of um, of Yonatan and and for anyone within within a small insular ultra orthodox community, I mean, it's obviously um, uh, you know shapes them. To an incredible extent, you know, uh, so much of uh, you know uh, their life entirely revolves around the community and the the people around them, and um, you know, as a result um, of that, um, there's there there are no secrets. You know, mm. everyone knows everything about everyone else. Um, everyone sees sees everything. I mean, in in that context, um, you know you're always going to be um, a product of uh, well, your life, you know, and, and the influence that has, it's going to be extensive for, for, um, for Ezra, on the other hand, you know, being secular and having left, you know, he's certainly, um, I think, I think the perspective of others, of others, particularly Yonatan shapes him, but it's more because of that, that friendship, I think that they had when they were young and uh, you know, this, this sort of um, almost little brother, big brother, relationship um that they have and how um ezra always looked up to him and, and you know i don't know about f- for you but you know in, in in um in my life now even though i'm i'm 35 uh uh i you know retain friendships um from my childhood where that dynamic you know pretty much still exists mm. yeah it's an interesting one because i i, I think that the um I don't think it's necessarily meant to sound with someone's weak of character. I just think that um, the way in which people can be, people perceive themselves as, or they perceive the way in which other people perceive them, particularly if they're friends, it can have, um, I guess, beneficial, but a lot of the time detrimental sort of, um, sort of impacts on one's life and how they choose to lead it. Um, Particularly um, not so much within the context of Yoni and Ezra, maybe perhaps, perhaps, with Yoni, given he's a teacher in terms of, of, of how he must sort of perceive as to how he should lead his life. Isn't it interesting though, as well, actually, even when there's no other way of uh, someone knowing something has happened or we transgress or do something, um, people still kind of lead the way in which they perceive themselves to be the virtuous path. Like, um, I think Yonatan early on doesn't want to look, he wants to look at the internet and it's something, it's for something that's completely innocuous but there's porn pop-ups or something like that. And he's concerned about even doing that, even though it's not straying from the righteous path, he still doesn't want to do that. Even though there's no other way aside from himself, obviously knowing that he's kind of doing something that's against his own own beliefs. What do you think that's, that's about that people are still willing to do something, even if there's no other way, save their God that knows about that. Well, you know, I've been asked this question about, um, so, you know, what is it that leads, you know, individuals, um, particular individuals to either remain or, or leave, um, you know, ultra-Orthodox communities? And obviously, I can't um, comment as to, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be subjective every time. But, I, you know, and as I said, I was raised modern Orthodox and not, not ultra-Orthodox. But, you know, I still experienced a, a loss of faith. Um, and I do think um, that it is... Um, that certain individuals have have a predilection um, towards um, uh, to towards questioning and curiosity and, and and look, I'm the black sheep of my family. I'm the black sheep of my immediate family, and I have a very large, very large extended family, and I'm the black sheep of that one too. Like I just um, I wouldn't have written this book uh, if I didn't always ask those questions. If I didn't have this interest in the world outside of outside of the community I was raised in. Um, and I think, you know, Yonatan, um, regardless of being brought up in this very strict um, ultra-Orthodox community, um, you know, he, he shows from a young age when he's like playing pranks that he's, he's always um, uh, an, a different, curious individual. You know, he was um, always had, had an interest in, um, I guess, testing the boundaries of um, of his uh, community, and um, you know, subsequently, uh, you know, continues to, to to push those boundaries as an adult. Mm. What do you think? 
it is about so that you're talking about the the people that leave faith return faith from faith or return to faith what is it about i i wondered at one point particularly because and i don't want to kind of spoil it too much i'm just going to say yoni's warpath i think that's 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 enough to kind of to kind of gauge we'll talk about it when the recording's off but to to have this sort of crisis of faith and then to or seemingly fall from the righteous path and then to to go off and to sin or transgress uh, commit transgressions do you think that that's a, a way in which we ourselves can, uh, particularly if you've avoided a life of this or have spent a dedicated life to avoiding any sort of these strains off the path, that can actually sort of reinforce, reaffirms one's beliefs after the uh, the strain takes place? And if so, what's kind of, what do you think happens there when the crisis of faith has sort of um, brought that about? I mean, yeah, again, I think, you know, the response is going to be subjective, but mm-hmm. I, I do, I do think, uh, you know, um, for some individuals, absolutely, you know, uh, if anything, I mean, when you're told, I mean, it's also about perception, I suppose, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, so much of the, within Jewish law, uh, effectively, you have, um, you have mitzvot, which are good deeds, and then you have your, your averas or your sins. So, um uh, you're told these things are a sin and you're told that you're going to feel bad doing them. So for some individuals, um, if that's so ingrained when they do do them, perhaps, you know, they will, they will feel um, ashamed and they mm. will feel, uh, feel bad because they've been told it's bad. Perhaps it's so ingrained, but perhaps for other individuals who have that curious mindset and, and um, are, are just, you know, seeking alternative experiences. So when they have those alternative experiences, they're able to look on the, on the positive side and, and actually experience them for what they are rather than for the, um, the sins that they're, they've been told they are. So, you know, I think, I think the response is, yeah, it's pretty subjective. It's definitely subjective. Actually, what's, how, how do you pronounce, is it a C-H-E-R-E-M? What's it? The cherem, uh, the yeah. Um, ch chs will be that back of the throat sound in hebrew so it's a um it's it's hard for a lot of people to do but it's a it's a harem yeah so tell me a little bit about what what, what exactly is that because it's, it's mentioned several times throughout hmm. um so a harem is is a ban um hmm. which if it, it means ban it's effectively an excommunication hmm. um of an, of an individual um from uh from their uh, their sect of Judaism. So um, it means um, sort of effectively uh, the community ignores you, um, you're, you're no longer invited or welcome to uh, attend community events, um, to uh, participate um, at, at, um, during Jewish festivals, um, et cetera, et cetera. There's no you know, um, ramifications uh, legally or anything along those mm-hmm. lines. Um, I mean, but you know, for, for individuals who, anyone who grows up within a particular community, you know, their entire lives are shaped um, by, um, you know, those people and, and they live their life every day um, with, uh, within um, this very, you know, strict st- structure. And to have that taken away, um, you know, just, you can imagine the effect that could have on, 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 on a person. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's what a harem is. Interestingly, there haven't been um, uh, many uh, harems in uh, in modern uh, Judaism. It's something that's more that took place uh, really hundreds of years ago, mm-hmm. and um, and that kind of thing. But, but there are certainly there are certainly plenty of, of contemporary examples of um, ostracization um, of individuals from ultra orthodox sects when they. Um, uh, you know, do not act in accordance um, with uh, Jewish law, or perhaps, um, you know, more relevantly, when we're looking at these these cases of of, um, of alleged sexual abuse, um, not uh, in line with how um, you know certain individuals with um, within um, uh, institutions uh, how they would like them to act in response to those allegations of abuse. Why, why do you, what do you think it is about communities that we find so vital, particularly for those that are in a, in a community which is religiously based? What is, what is it about a community that is so vital to our sort of notions of our own identity and existence? 
Well, it, I mean, it's it's exactly that. It's that it provides it provides you with a sense of identity. Mm. I think it provides you with structure and and connection. I mean, immediate connection. I mean, the the reality is, is I, I live a secular life now, and I I no longer take part in in any um, Jewish festivities, or I don't attend attend um, synagogue. Um, but um, even now, um, were I to um, go back to to Caulfield, where I was raised, and and uh, start attending synagogue and uh, participating, like there is a community there that would be welcoming. Mm. Um, you know, my entire my entire week could be filled. My weekends, um, you know, I would be embraced and and invited to to weddings and bar mitzvahs and and all and all kinds of things. And and um, I mean, particularly as as a writer. Um, it can be a pretty lonely existence um, when you're just sitting there with with the with the the blank page in front of you. Um, so I entirely, you know, I mean, a part of me really yearns for that kind of thing, for that sense of community, for um, that sense of connection with other people. Um, but uh, you know, at the same time, um, I'm also um, very wary because of of how what I was how I was brought up and. Um, you know a lot of the, the contradictions and and the um, uh, the uh, the basis um, for for um, Jewish law um, that I'm aware of. So um, yeah, I think that's it. It's just it's mm. just um, the allure of 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 an effectively a large extended family. You know, mm. um, Kurt Vonnegut. Um, have you read much Vonnegut? Like, oh, I know um, oh yes, 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 right. yes. So, yes, so yes, you know, yes. I forget, I forget which which book of his, but but I think he did it a few times. You know, he really believed in. Um, he wrote that book where everybody's given like forty thousand cousins or something along those lines, and it was, um, you know, because he believed that. Um, that's what people were missing. They were missing community. You know, you shouldn't be, it, the nuclear family isn't how we should be raised. You should be raised by tons of uncles and aunts and, and have all these people to, to lean on at all times. And so I get it. I completely understand um, the allure. It's just um, not the path I've chosen. It's interesting that you mentioned about uh, how there's different places you could go to in Caulfield and, uh, you know, you'd be greeted as if you just left yesterday. And I remember there was one point, there was definitely maybe towards the latter half of the end of the novel where Ezra, very similar, walks into similar situation where he's kind of astonished at how how warmly he's greeted, like he hasn't really left at all. And uh, I definitely see that sort of shining through. So that's that's good to kind of hear about that, Ashley. But what do you think? There was one point, I think it was Rabbi Kleiger? Kleiger. Kleiger, yeah. Kleiger, yeah. Kleiger, okay. Yeah. He talks about um, something, what's the effect of, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but it's uh, what, is, what is existence without identity? And it's, it's, it's something that, you know, constantly revisited throughout, or well, my thoughts constantly revisited throughout reading Abomination was, was these notions of identity within self and what identity is. And I guess something that I find, uh, particularly within the context of abomination, just, but also in general throughout, is I guess that one's identity is con- constantly always changing. What do you think? Is it not, not just necessarily being feeling someone's attached to or being excommunicated from a, from a community, but what is it that we as humans, our identity can always sort of seemingly change, do you think? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think that's completely right. That identity does, does change. And it's interesting because it's not something um, I've certainly... Um, I'm certainly guilty of being, um, you know, very um, stubborn and obstinate um, in, in the past, and, and my partner would say today as well. But um, I, uh, it's you know, it's something I've, 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 I think that I think is a sign of maturity is understanding that that um, our identity changes, and it's something that I've even discovered. Um, from this process of having the book published because I've had, I've received, you know, responses from um, Jewish and non-Jewish people alike. And, and I, um, I did events at um, Melbourne Jewish book week and um, Sydney Jewish writers festival. And what was interesting was a response I received um, suggesting that the book had this very loving um, approach to, um, to Judaism. And, and it was, it was just really, really um, stunned me because I thought that when I wrote this book, that it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a critique. It was a bit, I thought it was too hard hitting and I was, I was concerned about how it was going to be received. Um, but, uh, you know, from, from the response I've received, I think I've discovered that this is really, you know, this book is my um, investigation of my relationship with Judaism. Um, and, you know, like I certainly haven't 
come around full circle and I don't see myself going um, to synagogue anytime soon. But, but, uh, you know, I think they're right in that I am still coming to grips with my relationship with Judaism. Um, And, and that's, you know, something that I didn't quite understand um, that was coming out when I was writing Abomination. Um, So, um, you know, my identity um, towards Judaism is, is changing like even now. I think it's interesting that uh, it, I think certainly um, by virtue of the setting and the themes that are explored, uh, you're going to get very widely different sort of interpretations or people's readings of it. I mean, particularly handsome uh, person you're speaking to, Samuel Elliott from the Right Way podcast that's, you know, um, atheist from uh, no religious sort of background. Um, I, in terms of uh, hard hitting, definitely, I didn't think so. Um, in terms of love letter, I thought I'm going to say that's more leaning towards the spectrum, which I was at in terms of the way I kind of took it was faith can be whatever you want it to be, and you can belong to a community even if you uh, depart or stray from what is kind of the straight and narrow of what is accepted. I don't know. That was my sort of takeaway. And I guess I kind of felt that Ezra changed a bit. I felt Yoni's was the Yonatan's story was the one in which the, it had the most amount of changes or the most beats. Uh, if you want to, if you want to refer to it as that in terms of crusts of faith and then, and then kind of, um, yeah, I don't know. That's how I'm sort of interpreted. But I, I think that for me in terms of the kind of reader I am actually, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a really good book to read for me because I don't come in with any sort of preconceived notions. I know very little about the ultra Orthodox Jewish community of Melbourne and Sydney. Um, so for me, I guess I get to, I got to have the blank slate and interpret it um, with, with, without um, having a Jewish identity. So I, I don't know. I think that that kind of offered me this wonderful sort of just a chance to appreciate uh, the novel. What do you think? I don't know. Well, yeah, I think that's fantastic. And it certainly wasn't a book that I wrote um, for for just Jewish people. Um, mm. And I have have received, um, you know, um, fantastic responses from from plenty of people who are not Jewish um, who felt like the, the content was relatable, um, uh, regardless of their upbringing, whether it be um, toward, with faith or without without any faith. Um, you know, and it's um, really, yeah, it's just been really rewarding to. Um, to, to receive so many um, varied responses. And, you know, there's that saying that you put a book out into the world and it's no longer yours. Mm. And every um, reader's interpretation is, you know, is theirs. I mean, that's, and, you know, it's, you know, it's a horrible cliche, um, but I think it's right. Like, it's just, it does, I do feel like, you know, I'm glad that you came to the book and came away with those things. You know, was that my intention when writing it? Um, not necessarily, but, but as I'm learning, it's, you know, I'm learning that my intentions of writing it, I didn't fully understand what they were as I was writing the book, as I said, because I, I really, I thought that it was, um, yeah, more hard hitting and, and more of a critique, but, but it was really me navigating my relationship with Judaism. Isn't it interesting, and like what you just mentioned in terms of other people coming to you from different faiths or no faith at all in terms of... Um, spiritual sort of or religious beliefs but um to have takeaways that kind of uh relate to them uh in completely different sort of communities i think that yeah i would i would classify that as achieving what you've you've set out to do there actually and i can totally say that it's definitely not just been written to to, for a a jewish audience or anything like that as evidenced by my enjoyment and discussion now and uh obviously other people coming and telling you as such too yeah that's um it's really awesome. I've even received some, some, some um, comments and interpretations, which, um, you know, it's, you know, it's entire, everyone's entitled to their own, to their own opinion. Um, but, um, you know, one person suggested that it was a, um, a critique of society as a whole and how um, like, um, you know, Western democratic society and capitalism. And I, do, I wouldn't go that far, but I'm more than happy to, <laughs> To receive like that kind of that kind of praise, yeah. Actually, the question I always like to ask on the show, crux of what the show is founded on, is the if there was ever a point in your writerly journey getting to this point where you nearly gave up writing, like you've written a lot of short stories, had them appear in you know, myriad publications, but was there ever a point that you sort of reached a crossroads 
whereby you considered kind of giving up with the writing pursuit, writing vocation? And if so, what uh, allowed you to prevail to get through to this point of pending abomination now talking to me? Well, I don't, um, I don't think I was ever going to give up. In those early years, I was, yeah, incredibly um, stubborn and obstinate and, and uh, obnoxious. And my, um, I mean, I didn't even know what I was doing. And, you know, I started writing when I was in my early 20s and I was just like, I'm going to do this, but I didn't know anything about um, anything. I mean, I was a, a bit, huge reader, but um, I didn't know anything about formatting or, um, you know, I didn't indent my paragraphs. I didn't know anything about grammar. I was switching perspective every 10 seconds. I, you know, and I was just like, this is all genius. Why is no one publishing me? And I'd send it everywhere. I've, you know, I've sent some of the most awful things to Granta. And I'm like, oh my God, I hope they never, they don't go back to, you know, 2000 and, and whatever. Um, and, and look at um, my early submissions, uh, you know, things, things like that. Um, but I just, I kept going and, and, you know, rejection after rejection, hundreds of rejections and I didn't care, just churning out junk. Um, but uh, actually the, you know, the biggest um, hurdle that I faced was in my um, master's of creative writing um, at, at Bath Spa. Um, you know, it's, it's a, you know, great program. Um, mostly I found for the, um, there's a few like pretty brilliant professors on there, but um Mostly, you know, the friendships I formed were just just uh, invaluable, and the requirement to produce um, sixty thousand words. I think a lot of programs. I don't think there's there's no equivalent in Australia. I think the most in an Australian program is maybe twelve or twenty thousand, um, and I think that that deadline, that being forced to produce that much work, is. I mean, I would love one now because. Um, I, you know, I'm really struggling to, to finish, I mean, to even get, get progress on my, on my second novel. So it would be really great to just have a deadline end of the year. You've got to do it or you fail. But, um, so you get, you get assigned a supervisor and, um, while a lot of the professors, including, uh, this supervisor who I won't name, um, were, uh, you know, former Booker, um, long listies, uh, and short listies, um, uh, generally before it expanded to the US. Um, and, uh, you know, um, the one I was assigned for whatever reason had showed an extreme dislike towards me. And, you know, other, other um, students said, no, 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 it's just in your head. You know, it's not, um, it's not actually a thing. But then, um, you know, I think, I think you have to trust your instincts as a writer, you know, to an extent, not just when it comes to your writing, because, you know, in those early years, my instincts weren't good, but, um, but in terms of, you know, when you're workshopping, for instance, uh, you didn't know what advice to listen to and what advice not to listen to. And just something mm -hmm. in my gut told me that this, this individual um, just had it out for me and that my work was not as, as, as bad as um as the way they were marking it and that they um there were just so many red flags um okay. and and you know i could have easily and 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 i had spoken to um students that from from the program from previous years um as well and you know there were complaints about this individual year after year after year mm. um and um so it was effectively bullying it was it was definitely bullying that was the and I um you know stuck with my gut and uh approached the coordinator um of the program and said um this individual you know this you know former booker long-listed writer is is bullying me um I need to change um and it would have been so easy particularly when you have this you know somebody in a position of power when I'm nobody I'm just this Australian um you know I was the only Australian on the program I'm, I'm thousands of kilometers from home and I just want to write um telling you that you're no good and this is your dream you know um so I persisted um and you know luckily was given a, a new supervisor Maggie G um fantastic the fantastic Maggie G who um and um she was just so supportive and it wasn't even we didn't i don't think look i love maggie to death i just i don't we didn't, we didn't have the best connection we, our writing's different and everything but one thing she was was understanding that i was a young writer emerging mm. writer who wanted who needed support i mean that was it um and uh you know her enthusiasm uh for me and was what led to 
uh, you know, me ultimately finishing the course and then coming home and, and writing abomination. I've absolutely been there myself with, um, with uh, someone in a position of authority, not liking your work or not liking, just plain not liking you. Uh, and then you went and you got that situation rectified and there was a person that was, um, Maggie, that was very different to, to you in terms of uh, the kind of writer she was, et cetera. But nonetheless, and there you go, talking about affinity before for basketball. Now there's affinity for writing. And she was at that, um, I've only ever seen the word written down, so I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but she was very much of the avuncular mindset and helping a, a burgeoning writer sort of realise their dreams. What do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, the most disappointing thing, um, you know, thinking about it, aside from obviously the experience, which was really... Um, uh, you know, unfortunate, um, mm. is thinking about all the other um, writers that have went through that, went through the same experience then and since with that individual. And, you know, how many of them were going to write their own abomination? Mm. But um, as a result of that experience, um, have given up altogether. All and it's just, I don't know, um, just really, really awful. And, and you know, you know, having having had the book published, you know, I've met so many people in, in the Australian literary community and it is just, it is so welcoming and embracing and everyone is, is lovely. And isn't that what, I mean, I know, I know the Australian literary community is particularly small, but um, isn't that what we're all, what we should be about? I mean, we all love the same thing. We love books and, and the written word and, and, and literature. So, so why not just help each other out, lift each other up rather than um, uh, yeah putting putting um young emerging writers down definitely speaking to my soul there can't stress that to you enough and my goodness we'll have a juicy conversation either when the recording's off or in person face to face one day in the fullness of time but um yeah so 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 you came back so abomination you had the beginnings of it when you were uh overseas and then you returned and then had so so it must have been a bit of a transition from writing um predominantly short form to that of a, a long form, but yeah, I mean, it's quite an undertaking for a debut novel anyway. So what, what was, what was that sort of like that process? How different was that compared to, to writing short form? Well, I definitely prefer short form. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm really, I'm really structured. I know you get the, um, um, my, uh, I know you had her on your podcast. Um, Irma, Irma gold. I love Irma. Um, she's, yeah. Irma was, uh, one of my, I did a graduate diploma at, um, University of Canberra before I, I went to, to England and, and Irma was one of my one of my professors um, and she is she's brilliant but she has this saying you know you have the um, the pantsers or the planners and, and mm. I'm definitely a planner I don't I don't I don't you know, the words don't just flow through me everything mm. is really structured really structured so with short fiction I find you know I can plan out a 5,000 word story like pretty perfectly uh, but with a novel it is it's just it's such a larger undertaking and you have to you know there's you know I had the two switching perspectives um so there's you know there's that part of the structure but then there's you know time and inconsistencies and character names character ages oh my god like it's just there's just so much that you have to keep in mind at all points in time and it is it is just awful, <laughs> awful. I found like just uh, compared to compared to a short story, which I think, uh, you know, it's just so much easier to go. Like you don't need to include all that extra detail, all those inf all that extra information. But um, in a novel, you know, you you need it. It makes mm -hmm. sense. You do. P people are going to say your secondary characters are too thin. They're not. They're not real. They're going to say that that context, that, that instance that you provided. Um, it's not, it doesn't ring true to me, but you know, you know, what, what adds is the extra details. You, you provide that extra detail, not just what a person's job is, but then give an example of something they were working on. You know, you put, you put detail in and, and for, for readers that equals authenticity. Mm. So you need all of those things um, in a novel and it all needs to be consistent and it needs to flow. And, and, um, yeah, doing that across for me seventy four thousand words was is exhausting, uh, so exhausting. Um, so it's it's different. Like I'm glad I've done it, and I am working on another another novel. I am also working on short fiction because I'll never stop writing short fiction. Um, and I do wish the market in Australia for short fiction was greater. Um, I do wish we had more literary journals um, 
that were uh, publishing short fiction. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, I'm going to keep writing. <laughs> but you got now that you've got you've got abomination out there in the world. Now is the time. I think that, that it's, it's no longer a risk for a publisher to to publish a collection of your your short fiction. Yeah, like that's the main thing that they're wary of. Is oh, well, short fiction doesn't sell, namely because it's an untested sort of uh, novelist or, or writer, um, even even one that's that's had done some success within um, getting published within journals. I think that that's the main thing that makes them them wary of it. Yeah. But now that you've got a novel out there in the world, surely um, if you, if, it, if it's, if it's short form that you love, surely then this is, this but is something that it, could. Yeah. I think it depends upon the success of abomination. Maybe if we just, people keep buying copies, buy a copy for okay. your mom and your dad and, and everyone. <laughs> so yeah. You know, we're, 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 Trent Dalton to release a book of short fiction tomorrow, uh, you know, every publisher um, would be snapping it up. Absolutely. Because everyone's going to read anything Trent Dalton publishes. Um, but, you know, as a debut literary fiction writer, um, uh, I'm not sure um, that a short fiction collection of mine would be instantly published. Um, but, you know, we're abomination to, to do not necessarily as well as, as um, boys Fuller's universe, but um just, just well enough. I think, um, I think that there's promise for the short fiction as well. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Isn't it, isn't it, I, I read somewhere, I think it might've been, it was, a, it was you describing your writing process. I think it might've been for writing New South Wales. There was the, the E letter, I swear, or the E letter, I swear it was, it was there. I, I saw somewhere, I saw you describing your process and I was like, man, Ashley's writing process is so different to mine because like in terms of what you're saying, like the precision you need, you need to know all this. I think there was, you mentioned about how, you don't edit all too much after because you've you've worked up so much so fastidiously to get to the point of actually writing writing it in the first place that you're that you're with it. Whereas me, the only way I can kind of describe it is an absolute scattergun effect. So what you're talking about, so I churn out so much uh, that's you know hundred thousand words. Uh, that's just a lot of it's going to get binned or get completely reshaped over the course of like ten drafts. It's just it's just and you know I wish I could. Um, have like more care or like more effort in terms of organization, you know, like plotting like you, but I just, I just can't do it. And much the same that I think that you couldn't do the, the pantser thing that I'm talking about, which is just seems to be, you have to be an absolute masochist to, to do it, particularly in a long form scale, but I know kind of no different actually. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly what you're saying. I couldn't do it. I couldn't, you know, I, I, I just, I struggle to kill my darlings. I really do. Um, I like to keep most of them all of them if I can. So yeah, I am, um, yeah, you know, on a good day, 300 words a day, that's a full day writing. Um, and yeah, I want to get every line as perfect as I can. I think again, Vonnegut, um, used to say something along the lines that, you know, he would agonize over every, every sentence. Um, Mm. and it's so interesting when you consider his writing style, it's just so accessible. Um, and and you 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 know you read those sentences and be like how like but every word you know it, even though a lot of language is simple he he you know agonized over every word um, so that's what I aspire to I suppose yeah <laughs> just keep doing what you're doing but I mean like I'm just so glad that we've had the conversation I'm so glad that um you know that you that you kept up with abomination and that even with the the situation that you found yourself in, which is certainly unpleasant, certainly relatable to me. I thought that in my soul. So I'm really glad that, you know, you rectified that and continued to go. Uh, and now I feel that the way I kind of look at it in those sort of situations is you yourself are a young writer. That's kind of at the, the, you know, the beginning of your career. You will not do that to a generation of writers under you, you know, 10, 20, 30 years time. Uh, and we'll be able to kind of guide them through, the sort of uh, pitfalls and treachery that you yourself has experienced, much like I hope to one day do as well. And that's just the the way. So it's kind of almost good that you had that experience, even though I probably didn't seem at the time, or that's my takeaway from my and sort of very similar experience in that regard is that um, had that experience, know exactly not what to do. And uh, hopefully to the benefit of a lot of our uh, youngling writers, however far down the line we go. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's just, um, it, yeah, it's just the thing being that, you know, for whatever reason I, um, you know, believed in myself and I don't know mm-hmm. where that, where that came from. 
Um, but, uh, you know, if I could give, you know, any advice to somebody in a similar situation is to, you know, and not everyone can, because when you're obviously when you're in that situation and somebody in a position of power is, um, using their influence, um, on you in that way, uh, you know, it's so easy for any, anyone to, to fold under that kind of pressure, mm. but just push through if you can. And, and, you know, there's, there's a light, I guess so much to talk about when the recording's off so really looking forward to that but in the interim Ashley thank you so much for talking to me on the right way podcast program tonight I greatly appreciate it no worries thanks for having me so everyone there you have it that was me and Ashley Goldberg discussing his debut novel Abomination which is now out with the good folks at Penguin Random House so yeah huge thanks to Ashley Goldberg for discussing with me his debut novel Abomination on the show tonight on this rainy and drear evening it was an absolute pleasure talking to Ashley on the show and uh, while I'm in the thanking mood uh, thank you so much for you to you I should say for listening to this particular episode of the Right Way Podcast Program you know what I'm going to say next I say it every single time it carries the exact same amount of meaning and passion in which I imbue it with. But yes, thank you so much for listening to this particular episode of the Right Way Podcast Program, as well as listening to the ever-proliferating back catalogue of episodes there. Brings uh, such joy and warmth to my bosom to go back to the, uh, look at these stats there on ye old Spotify and see uh, the amount that people listening to the old episode that are getting back nearly, getting kissing close to two years ago. So when the show first launched. So yeah, huge thank you to you for listening to all these episodes of the show. And uh, if you haven't already, be sure to give a cheeky, cheeky follow on Spotify. If that's, if that's where you're listening to this on or on SoundCloud as well. Be sure to also tell your friends, your family, your neighbours, your enemies, whomever you cross on the street about this show as well. Be it that they love the livery industry or they just uh, they just love people that are passionate about a subject, talking about it with tremendous passion. Uh, yeah, huge thanks to you for doing so. I know you're all doing that and I greatly, greatly appreciate it. But in the interim, yeah, please stay tuned. A lot more episodes of the program coming up, albeit uh, I think we're down to a, a final 10 I should say, so I don't know if you classify that as a lot. Very much depends upon your classification of what is a lot, but about 10 guests or so for the remainder of the year. And then I'm taking off a little bit of time uh, towards the tail end of the year to focus on my own long-form writing, my own novels, as it were. So yeah, uh, please support me in that endeavor. I feel the good vibes send my way, so greatly appreciative of you for doing that and collectively you, not just singularly you. Uh, but yeah, in the interim, thank you so much for listening to this episode and I bid you have a tremendously fantastic evening.